This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Lilly Oncology. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the BreastCancer.org podcast. I'm Jamie DiPolo, the senior editor at BreastCancer.org. Our guest today is Dr. Timothy Pluard. He's medical director at the St. Luke's Cancer Institute and the Kuntz Center for Advanced Breast Cancer in Kansas City, Missouri. A medical oncologist, Dr. Pluard specializes in offering comprehensive care, including treatments that use advanced genomics and immunotherapy to women diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. He also incorporates nutrition planning, spiritual counseling, exercise physiology, massage, yoga, palliative care, and emotional support into patient care. He also advises patients on participating in clinical trials on leading-edge treatments for advanced-stage breast cancer. Many of Dr. Pluard's patients have praised his communication skills. Today he's going to talk to us about how people diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer can ensure that their communication with their doctor is the best it can be. Dr. Pluard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. You specialize in treating women diagnosed with, diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. And I'm sure these people are experiencing a wide range of emotions, uh, including fear, disbelief, shock, anger. How do you approach talking to a newly diagnosed person? Well, a couple of uh, approaches. Um, I think one, it's always helpful, and I usually ask patients uh, before we start a conversation, um, what's their understanding of the situation? Um, That just helps me gauge uh, where they are, what they know, um, and what they're thinking. Um, so if a patient says, you know, I have, I, I have metastatic breast cancer and I don't have long to live, that's a different, you know, conversation than I understand I have this cancer, but it's treatable. So I can kind of gauge kind of where they are um, in their level of understanding and their, and their emotional response uh, to the diagnosis, and then that gives us a starting point for the conversation. Do you find that you have to communicate differently with someone who is experiencing a metastatic recurrence versus someone who's diagnosed de novo, the first diagnosis is metastatic disease? Is that, are those, I'm assuming those two people would be in very different places. Absolutely, very different places. Um, so the, the recurrent situation, um, you know, patients have a previous experience with breast cancer and um, may have had chemotherapy um, as part of their treatment and may have experiences that they're drawing upon. And one of the, the big issues that we often see in w- women with recurrence is they're wondering, what did I do or what did I not do? to make this come back. Um, and there's a little, you know, can be some guilt associated with that. Um, and I always try and explain to patients that it's been there the whole time. The, you know, the cancer didn't leave and come back. It's been in your body the whole time and you've been living with it. And so our goal moving forward is to continue to treat you, to allow you to live with your cancer um, as long as possible and to try and do so in a way that preserves your quality of life and your ability to to carry on and do those things that are important to you. So in contrast, a a newly diagnosed woman woman is often uh, uh, a little more frightened um, 
maybe not in every case, but um, there's certainly it's there's more shock to it, I think, um, because they probably had no idea that they were that they even had breast cancer or or possibly even were at risk of breast cancer, and now they're diagnosed and they're already uh, metastatic. So it's a little bit different perspective that they each bring. And so I think it's important that you kind of, we recognize that and we, we tailor our, our conversation to them. I assume or suspect that most of your patients are women. Um, do you treat any men? We do have a few men that we treat with metastatic disease in our center. Are those conversations different? Do you, do you find yourself communicating differently with women and then with men? To some degree, I would say, uh, you know, while everyone is different in general, uh, men tend to ask fewer questions um, and really want the nuts and bolts. And um, uh, I would say tend to probably as a group, um, and obviously there are variations, but probably do less independent research often. Um, and it's that's a limited sample size, but, um, you know, it, it's a different conversation. Men and women tend to communicate a little bit differently, um, and the men tend to be a little bit more reserved. So it takes some effort to uh, oftentimes get them to open up. Well, that's a, a perfect segue into my next question, which is, I'm wondering how you handle someone who is hesitant or afraid to ask questions. And, and I realize that the shock of a diagnosis can be very overwhelming for a lot of people. And so they may be just kind of sitting there in stunned silence and not know what to ask. But... Um, how do you how do you kind of handle that for somebody who's hesitant and but they seem kind of upset or like they want to know some things but you're not sure what? Yeah, so that's you're right. There's there's a shock value and and so um, and we know from from studies that, that it's very difficult for women on their first visit in this setting of metastatic disease to be able to process information and to recall it later. Um, but oftentimes you, you can sense that someone has something on their mind and I think it's important to give them permission to ask it and to just say, you know, it looks like there's something on your mind and you're maybe not sure how to ask it. Just, just put it out there and we'll figure out what the question really is and, and, and go for from there, um, so I think it's it's one giving them permission, and it's interesting because a, a lot of patients um, will come in and have written questions down, um, and then we'll apologize for having those questions. And I always um, I I actually prefer um, a patient who's engaged in 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 being a partner in their care because I think that they. Um, will probably do better uh, because they're uh, actively participating in treatment decisions and, um, you know, I guess every, all women with metastatic disease are invested in their outcome. Um, but I, 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 I enjoy patients who are engaged and, and, and ask questions. 
That seems very strange to me. What What is the reason for the apology that it's taking too much time that they wrote down questions or? I, I think I think it's some of that. And I think that there's perhaps a perception amongst um, patients that they shouldn't be asking or challenging uh, the doctor. Um, and and I don't see it that way at all. I, I, I see it as one of our primary roles is to provide information and education uh, to the patients and their family. And um, somebody who's taken the time to thoughtfully write down their questions, I think is a, is a benefit. I completely agree with you. To your mind, what makes someone a good communicator? And I guess I should probably split that out. What, what makes a doctor a good communicator? I think the, well, I think the first thing is, is to be a good listener and observer. Um, I mean, you can, you can tell a lot by the nonverbal communication that occurs, the body language. Um, and, uh, so I think listening, um, and observing, and you can really get a lot of information about what to ask and what maybe the patient is thinking about but not verbalizing. Um, and then I think the second aspect of that is, you know, we it's always a struggle uh, to not talk in medical jargon and to really try and explain in terms that are understandable and uh, to the patient and the family uh, and not fall into the medical jargon. Definitely. I know that's, uh, that's something that some of our site visitors talk about quite often, that they have to go home and then look things up. So I, I certainly agree with you that a doctor who can explain things in easy-to-understand terms is, is automatically a good communicator in my book. I'm assuming, too, that some of the conversations you have with patients are similar, and I'm wondering, do you find yourself tailoring uh, sort of these conversations that may be the same to individual patients, or is there a sameness to it? There's a certain amount of similarity in the conversations, you know, the topics that are addressed. Um, I will say I, I try and oftentimes use a fair amount of analogies so that we can relate the discussion to something the patient is more familiar with. And so I may, you know, if we know what they do for work or, or, or travels, hobbies or whatever, we can, I can sometimes utilize that to, to, for an analogy to make the concept that we're trying to convey a little more reachable for the patient. So to translate, to translate something that may be medically complicated into some understandable terms. Sure. And it sounds like, too, you make a very strong effort to get to know your patients. You know what they do. You know their hobbies. You know what they like. So that allows you to, in a way, it's like you're, you're talking to somebody that you know so you can bring up things that they're interested in. Well, I think one of the... the the keys to good communication is to always remember we're talking about and talking with a person and not a disease. 
you know, sometimes we, we, we tend to think about the mechanics of the disease um, from a, a medical standpoint um, and, and get too focused on that as opposed to the person in front of you. Do you have a particular way, this kind of follows up on that question, I'm sure you have to talk to patients about disappointing information. Um, say a treatment has stopped working or the cancer has progressed. Do you, do you have a particular way of communicating that type of information? So t two things I would say. Um, one is, even at the outset, I try and prepare the patients for what might come in the future um, and probably will come in the future. And, and so we kind of lay out that this is going to be an ongoing chronic process and that we're going to encounter times when the cancer has adapted to our current treatment and we're going to have to respond to that by changing our treatments um, so that they know that that's kind of par for the course. So we normalize it in essence. Um, and then secondly, I think at any time that there's progression of disease or a change in therapies required, um, that we have a plan. So I don't go into the room before I have a plan. So this is what's happening. This is what we're going to do, or this is what options on what we can do um, because I think the, the, that is critical um, so that we don't have this, you know, things are getting worse, um, we're going to have to figure out what to do. Um, I think if you have a plan, that is hugely important uh, for the patients. So, yeah, I would say the other aspect that, that we uh, uh, try and do is not have a gap between getting scans and visits. So we try and do it within a day of your visit to get the scans. That way there's not the uncertainty that the patients experience um, between the time of the scan and finding out the results. Oh, that's great because I know some people, well, it's even become a word now, scan scansiety, where they sit at home, wait for the results of the scans for three, four, five, six days until they get the results. So, so you're talking about at, at your clinic, you do the scan and then it's the next day the person would get the results? Correct. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. I'm sure that would ease a lot of people's tensions. Are there certain topics that patients don't bring up that you wish they would? I'm sure there are, are a number of topics that that they don't bring up, and and I and I think any topic that they think about bringing up and then feel that they shouldn't bring up, um, I, I wish they would. And so I think it's you know, you know, oftentimes we don't do a great job at this, myself included. But I mean, I think providing that safety net and telling them, you know, if there's anything you want to ask. Um, if there's anything you want to ask in private without your family here, um, you know, we can do that. And there's really nothing that you should be afraid to ask about. And, and conversely, there's oftentimes the family wants information. So the family will ask a question. 
you know, how long do do you think mom has to live or something of that nature? And I think one of the, the things I always do is I always ask the patient, is this something you want to hear? Because if it's not, then we can have this conversation outside the room or at a later time when you're ready to hear it. Um, but I think they have to control the, the information flow. That's very insightful and very thoughtful. I'm wondering too, to, to sort of give our listeners uh, some advice and to conclude, would you have one or two recommendations for people who've been diagnosed with metastatic disease um, to make sure that when they're talking with their doctor, they're getting their needs met? Are there kind of one or two things that people could keep in mind, whether it's writing down questions or not being afraid to ask questions, anything like that? I think those are two excellent points right there. The the third one I would add is, um, so for our initial consultations, we actually uh, video record the consultation and give the patient a uh, CD um, of the consultation so that they have it at home and can review it. I think, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable for patients to ask to record the conversation on their iPhone or whatever device they would like, um, because uh, it's, it's difficult uh, in the time, the stress, to recall later what was said. Oh, I'm sure. And, and I'm curious, too. That's amazing that you do that. And I'm wondering if you, ha- if you know just roughly a percentage of the number of people that then came back to you and said, I'm so glad you gave that to me because I didn't remember X, Y, and Z from the conversation. So we're trying to pull together some data around that, but anecdotally, um, we've had several patients uh, remark upon that, and um, we actually had a, a a patient who we did it, and we had a technical issue, and her disc ended up being blank, and she asked us to recreate the consultation, which is challenging. It's somewhat live TV, so um, but we went through it. Dr. Plouard, thank you so much. Uh, We really appreciate your insights on this, and I'm sure your ideas and thoughts will help a number of our listeners. Thank you again. Well, thank you for having me.